0: Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. The name of this Sunday in the uh, church's calendar, you know, we've been counting first, second, third, etc., Sundays after Trinity. This is the last Sunday after Trinity, but instead of calling it the uh, 23rd Sunday, I believe is what we're on, there is a Mass for the 23rd Sunday after Trinity, but today we are celebrating the Mass of the Sunday next before Advent. That's what it's called, the Sunday next before Advent. And no matter how many Sundays fall after Trinity in any given year, and because Easter moves, so does Trinity, the Feast of Trinity, which means the number of Sundays after Trinity also move. So every year we could have a different number of Sundays after Trinity, but regardless of what that number is, whatever the last Sunday is before the season of Advent begins, this is the Mass that we pray. Why is that? It's interesting that the church chooses to arrange the Sundays this way. There are several interesting things about this day. One is that the 23rd Sunday after Trinity and the 24th and the 25th, which would always be the last one, so today, all use the same set of propers. Propers are the entrance chant, the introit, the gradual, the Alleluia that we all just sing together, It's the offertory chant that we will sing after the creed and before we get into the canon of the Mass, and it's the communion chant that we sing as we are beginning to commune to receive the body and blood of Christ. These uh, portions of the Mass change week by week for each different kind of Mass, for each Mass. And so for every Sunday following Trinity, we have a new set of propers, but At the 23rd Sunday after Trinity, it locks in, and I believe that these are probably the propers assigned primarily to the Sunday next before Advent, and they get uh, moved backward for the last few Sundays of Trinity Tide, however many you end up with in any given year. And I think the reason is probably this, because the church has said, you know what, we must have this set of propers on this day. And if we, uh, you know, get to the, the last few Sundays after Trinity Tide, we will just use these propers for those too so that we ensure that we use these propers and even repeat them to start letting them sink into our hearts and our minds as we sing them. So imagine uh, a Sunday, uh, a year where we had a 23rd and a 24th and then a last Sunday before Advent, and all three of those Sundays would have the same set of propers. We would start to notice that for sure, I have a feeling, and say something's going on with these propers. Now, the college prayers and the lessons and gospel readings would change for all those Sundays, but the propers, introit, gradual, Alleluia, etc., they stay the same. So, The next thing we do, obviously, is to look at them to see what it is about them that makes the church want to repeat them and definitely have them ringing in our ears before the season of Advent starts in one week. The intro today begins with the words of Jeremiah from the 29th chapter where he says, "'Thus saith the Lord, "'I think thoughts of peace and not of affliction You shall call upon me and I will hearken unto you and will bring again your captivity from all places. Jeremiah is also the, uh, it's not the epistle, but it's the lesson that we heard just now from uh, a different chapter, but a similar theme. Jeremiah's book is a fascinating book. He is the prophet of going into exile. He was the prophet that prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem and of the temple by Babylon, and the exile of the people into Babylon. His book and his ministry as a prophet spanned from pre-destruction of Jerusalem through Jerusalem and into the exile. And so not only was he the prophet of destruction, but he was also really the first prophet of return from exile. It's Jeremiah's words about returning from exile, dwelling in safety, being once again rescued by God that we open our Mass with today and hear in extended form in the lesson. The psalm verse attached to Jeremiah's words in the introit it says, Lord, thou art become gracious unto thy land. Thou hast turned away the captivity of Jacob. Echoing Jeremiah's words in the promise that God would rescue us from captivity. So we begin this morning's Mass with the theme of captivity. It's interesting. The whole Trinity season has been one of having been set free and growth. That's why we still have green. You can see on the altar and in the vestments that we wear and the vesting of the chalice. Green is still our color, this color of growth today. We are still in the trinity season but we are at the tail end and we are hearing of captivity again for the first time really in uh in in the whole of this season as a distinct theme so the church is wanting us to turn our minds back to the concept the theme of captivity and slavery now the kind of slavery that uh, we hear of in Sort of the the themes of lint, where Easter is the setting free, is the the slavery in Egypt. This uh, old, ancient, dark, deep slavery that was fundamental to the nation of Israel. And when we sing of uh, the captivity uh, to Egypt, this is almost a a deep down existential slavery. You know the kind of slavery that. Binds the entire cosmos, and Easter is what sets that free. Easter is what reverses slavery to death itself, right? But Jeremiah in the lesson says that we, the people, will no longer say, as the Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but the Lord liveth, which brought up and led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country, from all countries, whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land so this is no longer the slavery to Egypt that we're talking about the slavery to death itself this fundamental slavery this is a different slavery its captivity and slavery in the Northlands the lands in which dwell the forces of evil the evil spiritual beings personified in Babylon and all the northern countries And so the slavery, the captivity that we're looking at now today and that we are starting to think about as we move into the Advent season is no longer a slavery to death, but it is a potential slavery to the forces of sin and evil. And sin, as St. Paul tells us, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The wages of sin is death. So Christ has rescued us from death. But are any of us free from sin? And the answer to that is no. We all struggle with sin every day. And the beginning of Advent is a reminder to us that sin is still something that we can be enslaved to. We trust Christ not to lead us into death. And if we uh, stick with Christ and live lives that are uh, dedicated to um, being In Christ, then death is the enemy that we no longer have to fear. But sin is always lurking at our door. The entirety of the New Testament after the Gospels, all the letters of St. Paul and Peter and James, seems to be this juxtaposition of a celebration that we have been set free from death, and yet beware because the devil, like a roaring lion, is always looking to leap on you and devour you. Christ has defeated death. And yet sin is still an active force in the world. So the distinction between Egypt and Babylon, fundamental death and sin is something that Jeremiah is putting before our minds today. But thanks be to God, because Christ has defeated death, he can also defeat sin in us. The church has given us, as uh, Father Ben talked about us, talked to us about last week, the gracious sacrament of reconciliation. When sin is burdening us, we obviously can all go to God and immediately ask for forgiveness of our sins, but sin has consequences. Part of those consequences are the rupturing and the wounding of relationships between us and God, but also between us and our fellow Christians, between us and the church. And if we are members of the body of Christ, and we have some gangrene in us, well, we need to be restored not only for our sake, but for the sake of the body so that we don't corrupt and poison those around us through our sin. And the sacrament of reconciliation does exactly that. It restores our relationship not only with God, but with the church, which we're a part of. So we have a remedy for sin. Christ not only has defeated the reality of death, in a very decisive, metaphysical way, he also helps to defeat the reality of sin in our lives by reconciling us to his body. And one of the ways I think that the propers for today really make this point clear is that on the 22nd Sunday after Trinity, Psalm 130, out of the deep have I called unto thee, O Lord, is used for the introit. It's used in a way to say, uh, this, this psalm is, is just, it's, if you need to memorize a psalm in trouble, look up Psalm 130 and try to memorize it. It's not that long. It's a beautiful psalm. And it is a cry from the heart to God in a deep place. Out of the deep have I called to you, O Lord. It goes on to say, Lord, if you are severe in marking iniquities, who of us can stand? None of us have any chance. It's a plea to God for mercy. It's a psalm sung in the darkness most of the time. And I think in the introit of the 22nd Sunday after Trinity, that's kind of the, the thematic feeling that comes across. But what happens on the 23rd and following Sundays? What do we, will, did we just hear today? That psalm has been put in the context of the Alleluia. The psalm of darkness is now uh, bolstered by alleluias on either side of it. So our chant runs, alleluia, alleluia, out of the deep have I called unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice, alleluia. This is a celebration. This is confirmation that God does hear our voice. It's not the prayer that he will. It's almost the, the affirmation that he has, that he does. So we're moving into this season of penitence while at the same time knowing that Christ is on his way in Christmas. We will celebrate his coming as a baby. We will prepare our hearts for his coming at the end of the age in glory. And every day, and especially every mass, we will prepare our hearts for his coming into them, for Christ coming into our hearts. This is the threefold coming that we um, spend so much time preparing ourselves for during Advent. Christ's coming as a baby, his coming again at the end of the age, and imminently, his coming into our hearts. So the psalm in the dark is put in the context of light, Alleluia, alleluia, out of the deep I have called unto thee, O Lord. And this is what we see Christ doing. And we hear throughout the letters of the Old Testament. Christ, the light, has shone through in the darkness at Easter and in his resurrection has saved us from death. But darkness still tries to infect our hearts on a daily basis. And we invite Christ to shine in our hearts so that it's not egypt that we're worried about anymore but we are on the lookout for our captivity in babylon in the gospel today we hear of jesus feeding people in the wilderness the first time god fed his people large scale in the wilderness was in the exodus story it was after moses led the people out of egypt they crossed the red sea they are given the law at Sinai. And then they are about to go hungry, and God feeds them in a miraculous way. Today, Jesus does the same thing for people in the wilderness. He feeds them in a miraculous way. And it's evident that the story of the Exodus was on the minds of those men and women out there in the desert, in the wilderness, as Jesus was feeding them. Because at the end of this gospel passage, those people say, those people say, this is of a truth. This is certainly the prophet that should come into the world. What prophet were they talking about? They're talking about the prophet that Moses, the savior of the people in the wilderness who prayed to God on their behalf, delivered to them the words of uh, life from a mountaintop, something Jesus also did on his Sermon in the Mount. And feeds them in the wilderness and so the prophet they're referring to is what moses says when he tells the people in the 18th chapter of deuteronomy the lord your god will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you from among your fellow israelites so this is what the lord told moses what they say is good i will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow israelites and i will put my words in his mouth he will tell them everything i commanded him I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. There is a warning that there were false prophets to come, but there was one true prophet promised by God to Moses who would come and be like him, who would deliver the words of life, who would feed the people miraculously, and who would lead them. Out of captivity. The theme of captivity needs to be on our hearts as we will then be able to understand what we hear in the following Sundays from all the Old Testament uh, prophets, yearnings, the Psalms, the people looking to be delivered, looking to be set free, looking, in fact, for a Savior. The prophet promised by Moses, the king to follow after David, the Messiah promised in the exile. This is who we are preparing our hearts for, who we welcome day by day into our hearts in order to free us from the captivity of the northern countries of sin. Let's look to him in all of the propers of the church, in all of the scriptures that we read, in all of the prayers that we pray moving forward as we begin next Sunday, one of the most remarkable seasons of preparation on our calendar. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and Reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox Mission in Atlanta, Georgia.